Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we celebrate your resurrection from the dead, we ask, Lord, that you would raise our hearts as you will one day raise our bodies, that we might join you, giving you glory eternally. Amen. Please be seated. All right, let's get another round of it. Hallelujah! The Lord is risen! Hallelujah! The Lord is risen! Hallelujah! The Lord is risen! good for us uh, somber and solemn Anglicans to get the bells out, the noisemakers out, and shake them, isn't it? And of course, we are here celebrating something very real and very true, very good and very beautiful. We have just dramatically witnessed a church service that tells a story. You probably caught that, at least part of it, I hope. It was a long story. Believe it or not, I shortened the readings. You can probably guess that the story is all about a man named Jesus Christ. After all, this is a church. What you might not realize is that this story is also about you. Yes, it's true. William Shakespeare once wrote, All the world's a stage. And all men and women, merely players, they have their exits and they have their entrances. Without getting too philosophical, that's true. If you think about it, in some ways we all have our entrance and we all have our exit. They're fixed by God. We're not in control of either birth or death. Speaking in Psalm 33, the psalmist says to God, my times are in your hands. So let's talk about the entrance. Not just your entrance or my entrance, but let's talk about the entrance of everything that ever was. Creation itself. At the start of the readings tonight, we heard the story of creation. How it was God who created the heavens and the earth. God created a garden and put a man and a woman in it. And it's what God intended for us, to be in paradise with him, in a family, in community. But Adam and Eve's enemy, the serpent, whom afterwards we find out is the devil, tricks Eve into eating the fruit that God had told them not to eat. And she gives the fruit to Adam, as Carol read for us from Genesis 3. We insulate ourselves from the effects of Genesis 3, but we're touched often by it. We're touched by illness and death, if not ourselves right now, then those we love. Until Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin was unknown. Until Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it was unknown to even think about sin or death or illness or sickness or any kind 
of breaking of relationship. You know, it's hard for us even to think about that now, isn't it? It's just so much a part of our world. We can't even imagine a world without those things, let alone without the effects of them. Think about it for a moment with me. Let's just look at three of the deadly sins. Pride and its subcategories, irreverence, arrogance, distrust, treachery, betrayal, snobbery, or how about malice and its categories, resentfulness, dissatisfaction, bitterness, cynicism, retaliation, disdain for others, or murder. How about covetousness, greed, ruthlessness, ruthless ambition, dominating others, favoritism, whining, flattery, encouraging others to sin so that we feel better about our own, cheating, stealing, hoarding, wasting. Those are just three. For one thing, it seems like we can't picture a world without them. We can't picture a world around us without them, if you really think about it. If they were to go away, certainly the media would have nothing to write about, and certainly social media would disappear. At least the majority of it, I think. But let's really get down and personal. Think of yourself without these things. Can you? When I try to think of myself without these things, and more still, by the way, I'm at a loss. It's something I can't picture if I'm really honest with myself. What does Sean Templeton look like apart from all that? I can't begin to picture it. Perhaps you can't either. This doesn't even count or talk about the bitter results of sin and the chain reaction in the sinful world that it brings. Physical illness, as I started out with. Emotional pain. Broken families. Depression. Drug abuse. Alcoholism. Spiritual emptiness and despair. And of course, finally, death itself. All these were unknown before our ancestors, Adam and Eve, partook of that forbidden fruit. Tonight's service asks us, what if it's not how things are supposed to be? Think about that for a minute. What if it's not as things are supposed to be? Secondly, what if someone could change darkness into light? in this world. Thirdly, what if someone could do open heart surgery or open soul surgery perhaps on the souls and hearts of you and me? What if there was a parallel universe where the reality that we experience as the real here is not the real tainted with all of that? 
but something else. Did you catch the reading from Zephaniah 3.14? The Lord has taken away your judgments, the prophet says. You shall never again fear evil, the prophet says. He will quiet you with his love, the prophet says. He will exalt over you with loud singing, Zephaniah the prophet says. The prophet's talking about Zion, which is another name for God's people in this context. The person whose entrance was not planned by, I'm sorry, the only person whose entrance was planned by himself created not a parallel world, but a universe that was fixed. The person who planned his own entrance and his own exit and his own re-entrance and his own exit and one day his own re-entrance again did not come to create a parallel universe but to redeem this world. Redeem is just a theological fancy word for to take back, to pay for, to fix. Our service begins today with silence because all creation waits for the only person who matters ultimately to make his second entrance, Jesus. And that entrance is from the dead. Most of us enter only once into this world and exit at an appointed time. And as we've already said, that time is fixed by God, not by us. But God sent Jesus Christ to enter this world. As Christians, we call this Christmas. It's all about God coming down in the person of Jesus and dwelling among us. His part to play was to free us and to conquer sin, hell, and death. I want to read from you a little bit from St. Paul's letter to the Roman church. He writes this in the sixth chapter of his letter, verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, God who has fixed all time and space, who puts the stars in their courses, who causes the subatomic particles to orbit around the nucleus of an atom, appointed Jesus, the Son of God, his only begotten Son, to come down to earth as a man, to teach us and to be rejected, to rescue us and to be betrayed, to live the perfect life and to be given a criminal's death, to be killed and in the process to kill death. Paul says it this way, a little earlier in chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. That's what Good Friday was all about. The breaking of the bars of death and to present a way, the only way, to you and to me out from it. Paul also writes in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. What's that talking about? It's talking about Adam and Eve. Adam's particularly here. Through one man, all fell. But that's not the end of the story. We jump down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, another word for sin, led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Again, what's Paul talking about there? First, Adam and Eve. And secondly, Jesus Christ. The second Adam. So you see, all creation was waiting in silence for Jesus' re-entrance. The good news is that he has. As we read from Matthew's Gospel today, he has risen. Matthew 28.5, But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. The testimony of an angel, nonetheless. And we know from later on in the scripture that some 300 people saw the risen Christ. We also have evidence in secular historians that talk about Christ's being raised to death and men and women going and dying because of that. Think about that. If that wasn't true, would people put their lives on the line for it then and now as they still do? Jesus' re-entrance from the dead makes all the difference. And we obviously still struggle with sin and death in the world. And we see the world as not being what God would have it be. The world, in some ways, still waits. And you and I, we still struggle with ourselves not being what God would have us be yet. Christians are not perfect. Christ followers don't always look like Christ. Hopefully, we're looking a little bit more like Christ as we go. But Jesus Christ has won the victory, and he's conquered sin and death, and he's redeemed the entire world for us and for creation itself. That's why we ring these bells. That's why we sing the exalted, that really long ancient chant that sounds otherworldly, you know why? Because it's hundreds, thousands of years old. And we've been doing that for generations. 
The Bible teaches us that all creation will one day acknowledge it. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But the Bible also teaches that we have to respond to Jesus' invitation. Jesus tells us that we must become his disciples, his followers, and be baptized. In a moment, we're going to renew our baptismal vows, but I want to offer you an invitation now. If you've never done so, to commit your life to Jesus. And if you did at one point, or perhaps you were baptized, to recommit your life to Jesus. If it's something that's in the distant past, I ask if you want to do either of those things, or perhaps you just want to leave something and go ahead without it. Maybe a sin or, or, or something that, that you feel you need to confess. I invite you to go back and pray with um, the folks that have gone back to pray with us back at the holy fire where it was. And the rest of you, I ask that you bow your heads and think on your own journey, where Christ has led you, where he would purge you, where he would re-energize you. Let us pray.